Today is John 8. I'm skipping verses 53 and up through 11 uh, in chapter 7 and 8. Uh, and I'll get, come back to that another time. But today, uh, we're going to be looking at John 8, 12 through 38. So I will read these and uh, hear the word of the Lord to you this New Year's Day. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, well, where's your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you can't come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I'm going, you can't come. He said to them, you're from below. I'm from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to them, who are you? Jesus said, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. And they didn't understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have Heard from my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, light of the world, we pray that you would come and shine into our darkness, that you would give us the hope of your life. Lord, we pray that you would do your work, that you would pierce us, Lord, show us things in ourselves but especially that you would do this so you can heal us, that we would be restored. Lord, we pray that you'd be working in us even as I speak, that you would use your words and mine uh, to bring us your new life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Seems fitting to talk about Jesus being the light of the world, especially as the sun sets at like 4 o'clock uh, right now. 
Uh, no one actually has to explain darkness to you. Uh, we all understand what darkness is, how it feels like from our earliest days. Kids, you guys ever get scared uh, at night when it's dark in your room? Yeah, I'll tell you the truth. When no one else is in my house, I get scared at night too if it's dark in my house. Don't tell your parents that I said that. Um, why is the dark scary? Well, here's the deal. Uh, we know that in the dark, evil things hide, right? You can't see what's in the dark. That's why it's creepy. And you get scared because when you close your eyes, you think no one else has their eyes open. You think no one else is watching you, and so you're afraid somebody might sneak up on you and get you. But the secret is, is that the Lord actually has his eyes open. He never goes to sleep, and he watches you. So remember that tonight. But darkness itself is terrifying. Uh, it's terrifying because uh, it confuses, it obscures, and it hides things from our sight. Uh, things in your house don't look the same at night, right? Shadows look different, all sorts of stuff. And that wouldn't be scary if we didn't know that evil lived in the darkness. And we know that because when we have done evil, we hide in the darkness too. Uh, darkness is lifelessness. It's cold and desolate, uh, colorless and deadly. In fact, uh, my wife and I were driving the other day, and it was raining, and it was overcast, and we... <laughs> Notice that the sky was the exact same color as the pavement. Everything was gray. So Northwest winters can feel like this as well. Uh, darkness confuses the truth. It hides evil. It's colorless. It's deadly. And that is why darkness is the best image for despair, for utter lack of hope. Here's the deal. We can't actually uh, describe what despair looks like because it's inside of us. So we have to use word pictures, right? I feel dark. I feel gloomy. Well, the real reason I don't have to explain darkness is because we've already felt that darkness inside us already. We know darkness from the inside out. It's in our bones. And you can't see this kind of despairing darkness when it lives in you, but it makes you see everything differently. It colors everything. It's sticky, too. If this darkness and despair lives in you, uh, it begins to touch all of your friendships, all of a sudden, you, you don't hope for the same things anymore. All of your relationships, even trips to the grocery store, right? They're not out of, they're out of the thing. It's, ah, it always gets messed up. It's like an invisible ink that seeps into our life. So what's our hope this morning? Well, Jesus says this. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light, light of life. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, that's what we're doing this morning. Jesus is the light of the world. And this means that he enters into our darkness. He enters into our darkness. And he does it in four ways. He enters into our confusion and teaches so he can actually know the truth. He enters into our hiding and exposes so we can actually be free. He enters into the darkness of our despair and enlivens so we can actually hope. And he enters into the darkness of our isolation communes with us, and gives us each other. So first, Jesus is a light, and that means that he enters into the darkness of our confusion and teaches so we can truly know. Let me read verses 31 and uh, 32 for you again. Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now just imagine for a second that one of your friends came up to you and said this about their own words. Right? You'd probably laugh at them. Uh, the reality is that Jesus says things that no uh, self-help guru, no philosopher 
could ever say with a straight face. He doesn't say, uh, I will give you the key to true knowledge, and if you just follow my 10 steps or my method or my new uh, mode of thinking, you will arrive at true knowledge. Jesus says, I am the truth. If you want to know the truth, you know me. Here's the deal. The Christian life is uh, not actually meant to be confusing. Jesus says that you will not walk in darkness if you follow him. And that means that he's committed to you understanding him and his ways. That means that things have an explanation in the Christian life, that Jesus does not want us to simply close our eyes, but that actually he, he means to enlighten us. And of course, there's all sorts of things we won't comprehend. We don't get the full picture. But he does say that you will actually come to know the deepest truths of the world because you'll come to know the truth of God, of humanity, of yourself. And so you'll know how things fit together. And the good news is that this takes no special training. You don't get enlightenment in the Christian life by being specially trained or going to seminary, read enough books. Jesus says this, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. It's very simple. It's very simple. Well, why is it then that so many uh, don't know the true God? Why is it that for many of us uh, there lingers confusion? Well, many uh, of us like the idea of Jesus as a teacher. Right? You've probably heard people say, I love Jesus. He's a great teacher, great, great ideas. Uh, we like that image because we imagine that gaining more knowledge from a teacher gives us more power and more ability to kind of master our lives. And that can be true. You know, uh, if you don't know how to fix a car, learning about it can help. But I suspect there's actually something more behind that. Here's the deal. Uh, we like teachers only if they act like a podcast, right? They give us the things we want to learn about, and then they leave us alone. As long as Jesus is like Confucius saying wise things that we don't have to commit to, or like Aristotle debating, and we can argue about it, we like him. But once we have to receive his word, once we have to trust his testimony and trust his word, we do everything our can to avoid everything we can to avoid him or to discredit him. And that's exactly what the Pharisees do. Look at verse 13. They say, You're testifying about yourself, therefore your testimony is not true. Now, uh, not only is that uh, not true, they're trying to say that in Jewish law he has no grounds to testify by himself, but if you read Jewish law, there's plenty of places where people testify by themselves. Soul witnesses are fine. The real issue, actually, is that they are doing their best they can to simply not engage him, to not even consider the words that are in his mouth, to not listen. And of course, we often do the same. We want Jesus to teach us some truth that will allow us to master our lives, and then we want him to leave us alone. We don't want him to be invasive. But here's the problem. Truth has a name. Truth has a name. Jesus is the truth. He is the light. So if we would know anything truly, we actually have to receive him. And that calls for trust. Confusion about knowing the true God is because we have to deal with the person of Jesus to know him. That's actually the real challenge. Because to come to know God, the real Lord, means you have to come to know the one who is the light and that means that he exposes as well. And that's our second point. Jesus exposes so we can be free. This is John 3, verses 19 and 20. Let me read this to you. This is the verdict. 
the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Now here's the deal. This is a struggle for every living person. Because if you're alive in this world, you have done evil, you will do evil, and in fact, in your heart, you even still love some evil things. And so we hide, and we have been ever since the garden. We hide because we think that when we hide, uh, it keeps us from being noticed by others. And then we think, well, if others haven't noticed this, then surely God hasn't noticed us either. When we say it out loud, we see how silly it is. Obviously, that doesn't work with God who sees all things. But even our hiding from other people, it, it, it only works for like 10 minutes, right? People see through it very quickly. And that's actually the really sad part. Because we think that our hiding helps us to be free to do what we want. We think it allows us the freedom to go about our life the way we want, privacy. But it actually enslaves us further to the power of our sin. Hiding doesn't help. It actually enslaves. It enslaves. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, wrote this little book called Life Together. He uh, was one of the few German theologians who opposed the Nazis. And he lost his life for it, actually. Uh, so a uh, wonderful man to read. Very bright. This book, Life Together, is phenomenal. He says this. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. And this can happen even in the midst of a pious community. So, Sin ensnares us because we hide and we empower it even further. So what's the antidote to the power of our sin? Jesus says, confession. Coming into the light. Bonhoeffer continues, in, the conf in confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. So if you would be free from your sin, friends, that means you can't remain alone with it. It means you actually have to go and find someone you trust and tell them about it. And this is exactly what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin, whose life is one of sinfulness, is a slave to sin. They obey its wishes. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. How will he set you free? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That means the truth about Jesus, but it also means the truth about ourselves. Beginning to reckon with the truths about ourselves. Confession, however, if done properly, is actually a, a very scary thing. In fact, many of you, even as I'm talking about it, you can feel your own tight, your chest tightening up or you're, uh, you're starting to sweat perhaps. Uh, it does no good to tell someone who's scared of being exposed that they should stop hiding by confessing, right? It's kind of like saying, stop hiding, you know, just come out in the light. It's exactly what we're afraid of. In fact, some of us are so deeply committed to not being exposed that when we go about confession, we tend to do it in kind of the Roman Catholic way, 
where we kind of list the certain facts of what we've done, and then, you know, we say we're sorry as quickly as we can, and we want forgiveness given quickly, and then we promise we're going to do better, because the reality is we don't want to admit. And that, friends, is a very clever and strategic way to confess and yet not be exposed. But if you would truly confess and expose your sins, that means you must be exposed too because they live in you. Because there are loves and affections and loyalties in your heart that have let them grow. What I mean is that we have to let ourselves be examined and asked, what motivated me in doing that? What did I love and long for in that moment? What was I afraid of losing in that moment? And that will help us to repent not only of the thing confessed, but the sin beneath the sin. Here's the deal. Pornography is a great evil. Okay? It is a sin. But where does that sin come from? Is it because, uh, do you fall in that way because you're just that messed up? And you're worse off than everyone else and you're beyond repair? No. No, not at all. In fact, you're entirely normal. The reality is, is that sexual temptation has a promise attached to it. And it's the promise that allures us. It promises us comfort or significance or acceptance or even control. It promises us something, and that's why we are motivated. And same thing for gossiping. Yes, it's a sin, but where does it come from? What desires for self-protection, for feeling like I belong? are prompting me to bash others. Greed, hard words, and a million other things are sinful and worth confessing, yes. But it won't do us much good unless we are willing to let our hearts be examined and discover the pride and the unbelief that are under every one of those evils. Now, maybe I've just made it scarier for you. How can we be brave enough to be exposed? Well, here's the reality. No one has ever confessed because they're brave. No one has ever decided, I'm going to confess because I'm going to be brave enough to do that. No, no, no. We become brave enough to confess because we long for what confession does. We long for what it gives us. Confession, if I can be frank, is like a middle finger to Satan. It puts a boot on the neck of Satan. He tells us daily, you are beyond repair. Why try? The Lord won't forgive you. If you come out with this, they will kick you out. Confession puts the boot on his neck because Jesus enters into our darkness at that very moment and gives light because in confession, we are freed from having to pretend. And in confession, we ourselves are actually changed. It begins there. And that means that confession is the pathway to freedom because once you've confessed, you have nothing to lose. And then you're ready to receive the full riches of God's grace, to receive and drink from the draft of God's love to you because all of your barriers are down. You've let your guard down. And then... You're ready to stake all your hope on Jesus and not on your pretend righteousness or your competence or anything else you can kind of show to other people. And this is one of the main reasons we confess, because of what we gain. We gain God's grace in a deeper way, 
a more powerful and profound taste of God's grace. We gain His joy in being forgiven, in being loved. We gain freedom to follow Him not as a righteous person. We gain freedom to follow Him as a sinner. We gain Jesus. Do you know that you gain the Lord as you come to Him in confession? This is our third point. Jesus is the light, and that means that he enters into the darkness of our despair and he enlivens us. He gives us himself. I read uh, John 3, 19 through 20 earlier about people loving darkness and so resisting the light because they don't want to be exposed. Well, that passage actually continues. John 3, 21 says, Whoever does what is true or practices the truth comes to the light. You'd think it would say so that their sins might be exposed. Actually, it doesn't. Whoever practices the truth comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Actually, it turns out that when you confess and come into the light, what's most clearly seen is not how sinful you are. What's actually most clearly seen is that God has already been at work in you in the first place to bring you to confession. That God has already put a new desire in you for new life, a new hunger, a new dissatisfaction with the way things were, and the faith to seek it from him. That is what is exposed. And so it turns out that when we confess our sin, God exposes the lie of Satan. God exposes how free, how lavish, how generous, how powerful his grace is. God exposes how powerless Satan is to stop God from freeing sinners from their sin. And our sin... The sin you confess is transformed from your death sentence into the theater for God's glory because he is happy to display his grace in your life. And so when we come into the light and we're exposed, we find that Jesus was already exposed for us on the cross. Jesus was publicly mocked, beaten, and executed in our place on the cross. And so in confession, we don't go alone. We can actually go to join Jesus at the cross. And in fact, we find that he has been waiting for us in confession, waiting to share his resurrection life with us. So we don't confess to get God off our back. We actually confess to gain him, to gain God himself. And this is what gives us hope, because if God has already been at work in freeing me from my sin and freeing me from my hiding, how could he not continue to change me if God was already profoundly at work to actually give me the faith to look to him for hope, would he just stop then? No, he's going to finish the job. If his spirit has already been at work, that means his spirit will continue to change me. Verse 12, Jesus says this, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says you will become a possessor of the light. What he's saying is that as you receive the Lord's grace, you receive his spirit, and his light actually begins to live in you. In fact, chapter 12, he says, you'll become a son of light. In the same way that my sons get all my mannerisms, for better or for worse, in all of my life, we receive the light and the life of Jesus from him because we receive him. And so God puts himself in us by his spirit. So there's a new power, a principle of life, a new set of desires that are implanted in us as we follow him. So if God's in me, already at work, then I don't need to believe 
in the old lies. I don't need to submit to the old idols. I don't need to go back to my old way of life because there's true life already at work and on offer. So I'm simply called to follow the Lord. Now, that may sound like a lot. How do we actually do this? This is the fourth point. That actually, when we come into the light, Jesus exposes us and he gives us himself, but also Jesus communes with us and what? And gives us each other. Jesus gives us each other. He says quite a bit about us being with him and him with us in this passage and the Father not leaving him. And This is all the language of union or fellowship. Now, John, who wrote this gospel, understood this. And so in his, one of his letters, he writes this. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He says that when we walk in confession, we gain each other. The way we go about having fellowship with Jesus is actually by walking in his light together with each other, with the people next to you and behind you. This means that everything we have just talked about is actually meant to be lived out together. Receiving his word together, confessing our sins together, examining our hearts together so that we can walk in hopeful repentance, following Jesus together. Now, I know that many of you actually long for this. So the question is, how do you actually do this together? Coming into the light, confession, it turns out, is actually the doorway to true, deep friendship. Because in allowing the truth about ourselves to be known, we are also more deeply known and therefore also more deeply embraced and forgiven. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has more to say. In the confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. Since confession of sin is made in the presence of a Christian brother, the last stronghold of self-justification is abandoned. He's saying, if you actually come to a brother and confess your sins, I'm not saying corporate or silent, I'm saying one-to-one. He says you will abandon your last stronghold of self-justification. The sinner surrenders. He gives up all his evil. The expressed, acknowledged sin has lost all its power. Now the fellowship bears the sin of the brother. He is no longer alone with his evil, for he has cast off his sin and confession and handed it over to God. It has been taken away from him. Now he stands in the fellowship of sinners who live by grace, by the grace of God and the cross of Jesus Christ. Now he can be a sinner and still enjoy the grace of God. He can confess his sins and in this very act find fellowship for the first time. The sin concealed separated him from the fellowship and made all his apparent fellowship a sham. The sin confessed has helped him to find true fellowship with the brethren in Jesus Christ. If a Christian is in the fellowship of confession with a brother, he will never be alone again anywhere. Just venture to say that I think for some of us, our loneliness, our longing for friendship stems from a lack of exactly what Bonhoeffer is describing, a willingness to confess your sins to each other. 
So fellowship with Jesus happens through and results in fellowship with one another. Now let me get very practical here. Oh, water's on the side. New Year's resolutions are good, but they're more like metal detectors. If you ever used a metal detector, and you walk out and you're trying to find things under the surface, and New Year's resolutions do this. They are extremely helpful for pointing out to you all the areas that you feel extremely ashamed all the areas where you despair. All the areas where you're just plain sad and that you feel trapped. So the problem, though, is that they only detect. They don't actually transform a thing. Jesus transforms, however. Now, I don't mean that I don't want you to reflect in your life in this coming year. I do. But I want you to re- approach it with the power of Jesus the gospel and community. I just want you to consider what light the Lord would have for you this next year. Right? Think a little deeper than your diet and anything else. Think about what the Lord would do in your soul and how maybe some of your other resolutions reflect some of those deeper realities in your life. Earlier this week, I posted a PDF uh, for all of you on our online site. It's a uh, morning and evening prayer guide. Uh, it's something I've, I've developed with a few older resources and put together and tried to modernize a little bit. It has a very basic liturgy for each morning and evening. Uh, and I've been using something like this for most of the last year, and I'll just say it's been tremendously enriching. Uh, because it's meant that when I come through my Bible, I'm not coming just to read more. I'm actually coming to worship. I'm coming to worship and be with the Lord. So the first page has a brief intro, uh, overview of how it works. It has a, you read a few verses of opening prayer and then a psalm. And then you read your, whatever you're reading that day in the scriptures. And then uh, there's some written prayers to kind of guide your own. And then you close with the Lord's Prayer. It does have a reading plan in the back, uh, which is uh, one chapter of the Old Testament, one chapter of the New Testament. Uh, that's pretty easy to do. You could do it in the morning and the evening. You could do it at lunch, whatever you want to do. Uh, and if you really want more teaching and more stuff, uh, D.A. Carson publishes a free devotional on this plan on the Gospel Coalition online. That's uh, called For the Love of God. Great stuff. It's pretty short, but really good. So let me just say this. First of all, I'm offering you all a practical way, very practical tool here, uh, to start walking in the light with the Lord this year, uh, to start pursuing the Lord in a, in a real way, beginning each day with prayer, reading his word, and ending each day with prayer, confession, and reading his word. And my hope is actually not to give you more stuff to do. My hope is actually uh, to provide you a resource to deepen and enrich your own devotional time with the Lord. Uh, to give you some of the sweetness that I've experienced with the Lord. But secondly, uh, there's also something else I I snuck in here. It's a guide for spiritual friendship. And it's after the evening prayers. And this is my attempt to uh, give you a handbook for pursuing the kind of deep Christian communion I've just been talking about. So I'm trying to give you some resources here to do what I've just been mentioning. And I'm just giving you this as a valuable resource. You all are a smart bunch. And you have good judgment about how you could best do it. But I want to give it to you because, uh, partly because uh, it's not something I can do for you. And it's not something Nate can do for you. In fact, um, here's the deal. As I was talking about confession and communion, uh, I know that the Lord is actually stirring in a number of your hearts. Because that's the way the Lord does it. Um, And I know this because also many of you will come up to Nate or I and say, you know, I really long for deeper friendships. 
at Christ Church. I wish I was known better. Sometimes I don't feel like I belong. Uh, I don't feel like people know me deeply. And so, uh, and that's wonderful. It means the Lord's been already stern in you. But the, the reality is, is that if Nate and I started groups for every single person who came and told us, that would be three full-time jobs for both of us. Well, here's actually the more important piece, is that actually it would not be what you really want. Because the moment one of us starts something for you, now it's a program. And it's not real friendship. What all of us really long for is to have friends as deeply invested in our life and our holiness as we are in them. So let me just give you encouragement here. Uh, if you long for that kind of fellowship, pray. Pray for two friends here at Christ Church that you think you could trust with these deep things. And then grab this guide or come talk to me or anyone else and muster up some courage and invite these two friends into a group. And you can use this guide as your charter. You can think of something better too. But Think about who the Lord would have you walk with this year. I'm not saying that we do all these things in communion in a kind of vague idea about what we do. No, I'm saying actually you should find people to do this with. And if you can't think of anyone, I'm glad to connect you with others in a similar position. That's fine. But let me just say this. This takes no expertise, right? You could do this if you were 10, 14, or 50. It takes no particular maturity level as a Christian. It just takes a commitment to walk in the light together, to be willing to have the light of Jesus shine in us, to teach us, to discuss the scriptures together, and to pray together. It's actually very simple. But if we commit to this, I promise you, the Lord will bring so much fruit, so much joy, and especially that fellowship that we all are made for. So I'll leave it there, and I'm just going to leave that as an open invitation to each and every one of you that this kind of fellowship is actually on offer. This kind of friendship is a reality, and it's just actually within your, your, your grasp. And I would love to guide you into this, but let me just say this. There is real life. There is real hope, real truth, real freedom from sin on offer if we would walk together in Jesus' light. Let's do so this year. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you that you are committed to exposing our sins so that you would free us. Lord, that you are more committed to our freedom than we ever have been. And so you are more committed to our joy and our growth and our hope. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would give us your light, that you would fill our days and our fellowship with your presence. Lord, draw us near to you. Do your work by your spirit, we pray. Amen.